Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and we are happy and honored to be joined again by Dan. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Always a, a, an honor and a pleasure to be, uh, to be on the show. Thank you, my friend. For those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while now, you'll know that Dan has joined us for our Beatles episodes. And there's going to be more Beatles episodes coming out in the future because we never get tired of talking about the greatest band of all time. That's a fact, not an opinion. Uh, and uh, tonight we're going to be talking music as well. Not, not Beatles, really, although they may factor into the discussion. But for tonight's show, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Dan and I are each going to give you five album recommendations and tell you why we love each of these albums. And it could be any artist, any genre, from any time period. And this gives us a chance to talk some music beyond just the Fab Four. And also to tell you, our listeners, uh, some music recommendations. And we know you love our Stuff We Love recommendations, and this is a little bit more of that just strictly in the music scene. So, Dan, first off, how you doing? Everything good? Yeah, doing well. Um, you know, can't complain. Keeping busy. Getting through life, you know. <laughs> sure. What have Best you been listening can. to recently? Give me a recent music listening experience you had. Um, recent music listening experience uh, has actually been uh, the Doobie Brothers. Listening to Doobie a little Brothers. bit of the Doobie Brothers. You know, wow. they're uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've I've listened to them, but I haven't really, you know, aside from greatest hits packages, haven't really listened, listened. So uh, listening to a couple of albums and uh, some good stuff. Yeah, they're a great band. I have a memory of driving around. I feel like it was summertime, so the windows were down. And I heard, Without Love, Where Would You Be Now? What song is that? What's the name of that oh, song? Oh, that's uh, Long Train Running. Long Train Running. That's what I thought. Right. So, um, and I guess I never really had heard that song before. And it just was like the perfect song for the perfect summer evening. And that's mm -hmm. what got me into the Doobie Brothers. I went and got, I guess, a Greatest Hits album shortly after I heard that. It's just a memory I have. Good music memory. Yeah, that's a very good music memory. And I think they're... Are they on tour with Mike, Michael McDonald again this year? They are, yeah, yeah. He's back. Uh, he's back with the group. So very interesting band because you get two very distinct periods. You know that the pre Michael McDonald doobies and the 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 Michael McDonald era. You know, so. Do you look at the Michael McDonald era of the Doobie Brothers? And I, I don't really know enough to say, but I guess the only song I know is "What a Fool Believes," which he's mm -hmm. lead on. Is it more a yacht rock sound when Michael McDonald joins? Um, I think it, it it's yeah it starts to go that way. I think first is more it's more soul. So um, the first full album he was on uh, with them was uh, taking it to the streets, and uh, so that's the the title. He's responsible for the title track, and it keeps you running. And it, it's more of a soulful sound. The the, the second big release with him in the band, uh, Minute by Minute which is the album that what a fool believes is on that that's more yacht rocky. Okay. That's mm -hmm. like 78. Um, and then I think he did one more with them and then he went for uh, off for a solo career and right. gave us all those classics like Yamo be there. Yeah. Yamo be there. <laughs> Do you know that the yeah. song sweet freedom, at least last time I checked is not available on any streaming music service except for a live version from his appearance on PBS soundstage. Really? Yeah. It's I very was weird. unaware of that. This uh, this is the, how you know I have way too much time on my hands <laughs> that I that I'm able to to, to well, tell you a, that. That's a good piece of information for people that are '80s fans and uh, you know yeah uh, have have uh, nostalgic memories of that song if they go looking for it. Uh, you, you're not going to find it on any streaming services except for a uh, live cut. I mean, I can only speak to Apple Music. I don't think I actually search for it on any others, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is that is a fact, at least as of the last time I checked. That's good so, to know. Uh, Dan, here we go. Let's get started on these albums tonight. And uh, for our listeners, we've talked about this. We still listen to albums. I know we live in a streaming mm -hmm. world where albums are not as popular as they used to be, but there's nothing like a collection of songs put out by a particular artist. It's, it's, it's sort of, a to a certain degree, a lost art form, except for those that are still into buying vinyl and things like that, I think. The... Mm -hmm. The industry has changed, but we're going to alternate one at a time. We'll tell you an album we like and tell you why that is. And Dan, my man, I'm going to start with you. So I'm actually going to bring up a, uh, a Stones album. You know, we talk a lot about the Beatles. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start with the Stones. And uh, it's their uh, last release of the 60s, uh, Let It Bleed, yes. which they released in 1969. 
Uh, One of my uh, top picks, one of my favorite albums, uh, probably because it's one of the first albums I really got into um, as far as, uh, you know, listening to it front to back. And um, I was, I I think, maybe 14 or 15. And um, my father had a a really big vinyl collection and I would go downstairs and kind of in the basement and look through his records and um, and put some of them on. And I remember um, finding Let It Bleed amongst his his um, his records. And I'd only known, you know, like the hits of the Stones, you know, like the Satisfaction and Jumpin' Jack Flash. Never really listened to much of anything else. And mm-hmm. so uh, I knew this. I knew the Stones. I recognized the band. So I put the record on and, you know, he had the old big 70s headphones you know, right. so plug that in and put that on and, and, and listen to the album and um, just really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed what I heard. And it, it, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great rock album. It's, it's in that um, span of, I guess, would be the golden era of the Stones, mm-hmm. um, which I think starts with Beggar's Banquet um, right after they got out of their psychedelic um period and, and the mess that was their satanic majesty's request, which was their attempt to replicate or equal pepper on their own terms. And it was just uh, a mess of it's like psychedelic soup. Um, they, they were going through a lot of issues um, between arrests and drugs and um, friction within the band and their producer Andrew Luke Oldham and who was also their manager had left and they produced it themselves and it was kind of a mess and uh, the critics bashed it and they decided after that to go back to their roots and the next thing that came out was the Jumpin' Jack Flash single and then Beggar's Banquet and then Let It Bleed followed and then that led into Sticky Fingers and Exile mm-hmm. on Main Street so it's the span of really I think classic Stones releases. Great stuff. Um, Great, great stuff. But I, I think I always felt like Let It Bleed was um, was probably the best of them, in my opinion. Um, has some great songs on it. Give Me Shelter opens it up. Um, you Can't Always Get What You Want closes mm-hmm. the record. Has Midnight Rambler on it. Um, has a, a country version of um, Honky Tonk Woman called Country Honk. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the title track is... is um, to me, one of the most underrated Stones cuts. And I think the reason I was drawn to it is because uh, it, it's kind of an angsty, it's a dark kind of angsty record. Mm-hmm. And I think it works well for a, a 14, 15 year old. You know, you're uh, in the middle of your teenage years and you've, you're kind of uh, angsty and edgy. And, and uh, I don't know, those sounds really appeal to me. Um, and it's, it's a record too, if you look at it in its time period, we talked when we were talking about the Pepper um album the pepper um set uh that sergeant pepper's lonely hearts Club band is kind of a record that that encapsulates the summer of 67 and that summer of love period right. and um to me let it bleed um does the same for 1969 it really um it sounds like the end of the 60s and the end of the kind of hippie uh age of aquarius era um that you know, culminated uh, arguably in 69 um, with the, the their free concert at Altamont. Sure. Um, with um, the Hells Angels and what happened there. And um, so it's, it's one of those records that kind of reflects the year it was released in. Yeah, that's that's true, Dan. It's a great point. And I think that's especially reflected in the opening and closing tracks. You have the opening of Gimme Shelter which is a scary song in a way. It's an amazing mm-hmm. track. I mean, it's, but it's a frightening song in terms of the lyrics and what he's singing about and that, and even the sound of the record. This, the whole sound is a raw sound throughout the album, and mm-hmm. it's a very rough sound. And then that reflects the tumult of 1969 and everything going on in the world. And then at the end with You Can't Always Get What You Want, he kind of maybe is saying to the young people out there that you take what you can get, you make progress, Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not going to get everything you want in life. And that's a message to young people at the time that may have been protesting against certain governmental actions. Yeah. I think that's another thing that draws me to it. I, it's, it's this dark record. 
but there is the the ray of hope at the end. Mm-hmm. So it kind of lets you know that you know there's still uh, light there, um, right? And you could you can make what you want of it. You know, you you've got the power to kind of make of it what you will and, and and turn things around if you look at things clearly. This is certainly a great choice to open up our discussion tonight. It's one of my favorite Stones albums. Uh, it is a classic in so many different ways. I haven't listened to it in a while. I think I'm going to give it a listen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, just talking about it. I happen to love Midnight Rambler. I think it's an amazing song. And uh, a lot of people don't necessarily think of it right away when they think of St- Stone's classics. But it is a great, great track. Yeah. Um, and, Dan, and wonderful the, selection. Thank you. I was going to say the studio cut of that is uh, probably less well-known than the live cut from the Get right. Your Yaya's That album. Um, right. That's the one that appears on the Hot Rocks. And it's a solid... Uh, it's a great rendition of the song, but the studio, the studio cut isn't, um, isn't bad either. And, um, uh, you know, little stones trivia for people. It's one of two tracks on that album that represent the last musical contribution of Brian Jones to the mm-hmm. stones. Yeah. Um, and he plays maracas, I think on, um, on midnight rambler and he plays, um, auto harp on you've got the silver. Mm-hmm. And those are the last two uh, contributions he makes to to a record, and uh, the rest of the guitar on the album is Keith before the heavy heroin. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, Dan, I like that recommendation. We love the Stones here on the podcast, and uh, everybody check out Let It Bleed. Good album to revisit. Like I said, I haven't heard it in a while. I'm going to turn to it. So, good choice, my friend. Thank you, thank you. So, for my opening choice tonight, I'm going to go a couple years later to 1971. And the album I'm going to choose is Tapestry by Carole King to start things off. Now, when I was younger, I remember hearing my mom speak over and over again about about how much she loved this album. And it was such an integral part of her growing up and and just wonderful memories that she had. Uh, So I was drawn to it because of that. Uh, And I would hear Carole King on the radio and you would hear the hit songs from Tapestry on there. Like, I feel the earth moving so far away and it's too late. But when I eventually picked up the album and heard the collection of songs in its entirety, I was blown away by just how many wonderful tracks are on there. And to me, this album is probably the shining achievement of the singer songwriter era. There's others that stand out, you know, sweet baby James by James Taylor is one that definitely is a great track, great album, but tapestry is just perfection on so many different levels. In addition to the three songs I just mentioned, you have, you've got a friend, you have Will You Love Me Tomorrow, in which she's joined by James Taylor. You have You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, which Kyle King wrote, uh, and a bunch of other tracks, which are now, I wouldn't call all of them standards, but they're part of the repertoire of the 70s that people turn to over and over again. Uh, the album, one of the things I, I, I'm drawn to about it is there are times where it feels very intimate, like Kyle King could be sitting in your living room playing the piano, just singing to you. And there's other times where it feels large for lack of a better word uh some of the uh rocking tracks like i feel the earth move under my uh, under my feet is it's a powerful track and it's, it's more than just that intimate type feel uh i happen to love it at one album of the year along with several other grammy awards and the songs are still enjoyed by people of all generations i remember when i was younger uh being at a friend's house and a car pulled up and a girl was driving it from our high school and this is in the late 90s, and she had the uh, – it was a convertible, so the top was down, and she was blasting I Feel the Earth Move by Carole King. So there's something about these songs that are timeless and never get old and appeal to multiple generations. And I chose that because, to me, it's a perfect album. There's really not a lot of negatives to say about it. So that's my opening choice, Stan, Tapestry. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Tapestry? I do have thoughts on Tapestry. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was young um, – my mother was, uh, my, you know, my parents love music, and, and I think that's where I get my love of music from because growing up, there was constantly music playing in the house, all different yeah. genres. Um, but my, uh, my mother's two favorite, um, I guess, artists to play were The Carpenters mm-hmm. and Carol King. Uh-huh. And when we would go on road trips um, and we drove uh, every summer, we drive down with another family to Ocean City, Maryland and spend a couple of weeks there. And we did the the drive from New Jersey to Florida a bunch of times. And 
anytime we were on a road trip, um, tapestry, she had a cassette of tapestry and, uh, we would listen to it in the car pretty much every road trip. And so, um, I have very fond memories of that album. And still, even when I, when I'm going on a long drive, I have to, uh, listen to a little bit of tapestry because it reminds me of, you know, being on the road, uh, uh, heading somewhere and, um, just kind of enjoying a nice, a nice drive. Yeah. Um, and, it's a uh, great driving it, record. It's a it really a good great, driving record. It, it really is a great driving record. And, and, and I really like what you said about it, the sound of the, uh, the, the, the record. I, I always refer to it um, when I talk about it as a living room album because it sounds like it's, it, it's, she actually recorded it in her living room. Yeah. Like just a piano um, and uh, the rest of the musicians, you know, sitting around and just kind of playing these songs with a tape rolling. Right. It's got a very um, warm, um, intimate quality to it. I, I agree with you 100%. It's one of probably the, the, the greatest records of all time. And, uh, and um, I, I feel like everybody, if you're a music fan, especially the music of the 60s and the 70s, you, yeah. you, should, uh, you should have Tapestry. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's a wonderful, wonderful album. Dan, what's your number two tonight? And then, by the way, we're not doing this in any particular order. When I say number two, I mean just your second album for tonight. Yeah. The, um, so the second one, actually, it kind of, it's funny. It builds off of the conversation we were just having. Mm-hmm. Um, we all, we, when we would go on road trips, uh, we all got a choice um, of, of music to listen to. And uh, my mother's choice was, was Tapestry. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's choice is, is my second album that I want to talk about tonight. And that's, uh, the second Crosby, Stills and Nash album. This is now Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Deja Vu. Beautiful, um, beautiful selection. Thank you. Thank you. Deja Vu was the other record that we listened to on mm-hmm. every road trip. Um, he had the cassette of that and we listened to it for, you know, front to back. To me, I, I feel like it's, it's like tapestry. It's one of those perfect, one of those perfect records. Yeah. Um, you have just one classic song after another on it, uh, you know, opening with a carry on teach your children, um, helpless. Yeah. Um, our house, the title track, Deja Vu is a great track. And then there's other, uh, lesser known tracks on it that are incredible from, uh, their cover of Woodstock, Joni Mitchell's Woodstock, um, almost cut my hair. It's a David Crosby song, uh, yeah. which is great. A very fiery uh, guitar performances on there makes you realize what an underrated guitarist uh, Stephen Stills is. Just an incredible musician, incredible guitar player, and um, incredible vocals. And it's one of those records. It has everything. It has the musicianship. It has the songs. It has the voices. It's it's probably I, I would say under the Crosby, Stills, Nash umbrella is probably the best record that the album they released. Mm-hmm. I, I love this selection. I'm a huge CSNY fan. And as we're talking, I was looking something up. It came out in 1970. It was recorded. No, I'm saying that wrong. It came out in 1970, right, Dan? Is that when? Right, 1970, yep. So the song Almost Cut My Hair is my favorite track from the album, and it has one of my favorite lyrics in all of classic rock, which is, I'll just recite this to our listeners almost cut my hair happened just the other day it's getting kind of long i could have said it was in my way but i didn't and i wonder why i feel like letting my freak flag fly i love that lyric freak flag fly and i just think that captures that time period too we talk about these albums capturing when they came out and what was going on and you think about 1970 you see a lot of people long hair on both men and women obviously and that to me is just a perfect encapsulation of that moment and mm-hmm. I, I love the way he plays it. It's it's a great album. The harmonies shine through. CSNY, along with uh, the Beach Boys, I would say, are the two greatest harmony bands in U.S. history. There's pro- Well, there's a lot of really good ones. I don't want to just say the two greatest, but they stand out. Memories of this album, too. I, my friend Greg got me into uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And I remember getting this album and listening to it and loving it. And I just want to see one thing as we're talking. So, yes, this is an interesting story. And I say this with a high degree of certainty because I met Graham Nash about two years ago. And I was with a friend of someone who both Dan and I know. And we were talking about this album cover because my friend had Graham Nash sign this album cover. When you look at the cover, there's a dog in the photo. Mm -hmm. And I am 
fairly certain that Graham Nash told a story to us that that dog was a random dog that just happened to jump into the photo shoot at that time. That it was really? like a stray dog, and <clears throat> and it ran away shortly after. Okay, so uh, as I'm looking at this online, and there's a website, popspotnyc.com, and there's an article about the album cover. And it's actually, this seems to be a pretty fascinating article. And here's what it says. Uh, the band posed without moving for a long time. As they did, a dog wandered into frame and became immortalized. So that's, I think, so cool. <laughs> yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. And, and I'm going to say, too, uh, Almost Cut My Hair is also my favorite um, cut on the, on the album. Nice. Um, and, uh, and my favorite lyric in that track is uh, it increases my paranoia, like looking in my rearview mirror and seeing a police car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's just a, a great, great line. Yes, um, great, great line. Yes, masterful writing by David Crosby. I'm, I'm sure he... Uh, <laughs> Legend. He uh, saw, saw plenty of a, a, a police car in his rearview mirrors <laughs> throughout <laughs> <Definitely>. his life. <laughs> Definitely true. Well, Dan, for my next album, I'm going to take a little trip further back to 1955. Wow. Okay? This is an album that in 2012, Rolling Stone said was the 101st greatest album of all time. Now, you would think if I'm saying that Rolling Stone said it was the one of the greatest albums of all time, it's a rock album or an R&B album, but it's not. The album is In the Wee Small Hours by Frank Sinatra. And I don't know if this is my favorite Sinatra album, but it's certainly one of them. And I'll tell you why I chose it. Uh, for several reasons. First off, this is a true concept album. We've talked about other artists and whether or not with the Beatles, for example, Sgt. Pepper is a concept album or with the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds is. And I could see arguments on both sides of that debate. Within the wee small hours, there's no doubt it is a concept album. And the reason it is a concept album is because every single track deals with the theme of lost love, yearning, desire, Sand, romantic sadness and it doesn't stray from that there's no real upbeat song on the album but it's not a depressing listening experience the music is so beautiful and the arrangements by nelson riddle are lush and gorgeous that you get lost in the album and you don't really care if every track is a slow one uh, that's one reason i choose it the other reason another reason is I've always said that a voice is an instrument. It's like a guitar or piano. It's just a different type of instrument. And within the wee small hours, Sinatra is putting on a clinic as to how his voice was an instrument. He, I, I, I remember reading about Sinatra that before recording, he would study the lyrics and try to get in the kind of the head of the songwriter, what they were, uh, the lyricist, or what that lyricist was trying to say. And when he sings, he's not just singing to get the words out. He is expressing his emotion in his vocal performances. And this was recorded at a time in his life where he was dealing with romantic troubles. He was divorced from his first wife, Nancy. He, uh, his relationship with Ava Gardner had not lasted. It was a tumultuous relationship. And he put all of his romantic experience into this recording. That's the second reason, Sinatra's voice on it. The third reason has nothing to do with the music, but I just happen to love the album cover. It's, it, it is a work of art. It's an image of, it's not a photo, it's an artist rendering of Sinatra wearing his fedora, so you're in classic 1950 Sinatra mode, basically leaning against a building, smoking a cigarette, and there's a color blue that dominates the cover. That's not a regular blue. It's kind of like a turquoisey type blue, and it just is a magnificent album cover, and it never gets old to me. So uh, in the wee small hours, Frank Sinatra is my second choice this night. Dan, Sinatra, what are your thoughts? Um, I think it's another great choice. I love that album. Um, yeah. I have a, 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 a real soft spot for concept albums. I, I, I love concept albums. And I, and I agree with you. I feel like uh, in the wee small hours is one of the first true concept albums. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Sinatra actually, uh, you could say, recorded a few albums that could be considered conceptual. Uh, songs from Swinging, for Swinging Lovers, 
Yes. Uh, Frank Sinatra sings to Only the Lonely. Um, they, 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 even a, an album like Come Fly With Me is, is, yeah. is based around a concept um, before any rock bands were, were, were doing concept albums. And, and I think what's great about them is this isn't a songwriter who's putting together a concept album. This is um, an artist who is actually sitting down and, you know, culling through this great American songbook and finding these songs that go together and, and, and reflect a message or a theme or an idea. And um, I think that's just as important as being able to write the songs. Mm-hmm. And put together a, a work, a conceptual work is, is creating it in that way too. Um, and he he created a, a, a probably one of the one of the, the the greatest vocal jazz albums. Yes, recorded, um, but arguably one of the, the the best albums spanning any genre. Yeah, um, recorded, and so um, it but it definitely belongs on that Rolling Stone list. Yeah, I agree. And the only other thing I would add, Dan, is that. It also, like Tapestry, is an album that feels intimate and large at the same time. Yeah, you could see how Sinatra is almost singing directly to you. And at the same time, with some of the tracks, they go into these instrumental parts of the songs where you're dealing with a big orchestra. So it's it's really, Sinatra's great. I mean, I, I, what else can you say? I mean, he's such a legend in American popular culture and global popular culture. There's You could spend up. Surprised there's not more more podcasts just about Sinatra. You could devote mm-hmm. a forty million hour podcast to him. But anyhow, that was my choice tonight for uh, an, another one of my choices for top albums. Dan, what's your next selection? Uh, my next selection is uh, another '70s album. Okay. Another different genre of music. Um, it's uh, David Bowie, yeah. "The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars." Love it. Love it. Um, like I said before, I, I, I love uh, concept albums, and this is uh, definitely a, a concept album. Very bizarre story. I'm not even quite entirely sure exactly what the story is, apart from um, it's the last five years of Earth, and a alien named Ziggy Stardust comes down to Earth um, and is a, a rock and roll messiah, and then... I'm not sure exactly what happens at the end <laughs> um, or in the middle, but um, it's an incredible album. It's it's the album that broke Bowie, um, mm-hmm. I guess, as a megastar. Um, he had done um, Hunky Dory was the album just prior to it, which was a pretty solid album, had changes on it, um, Life on Mars. But this was... Um, him adopting the Ziggy Stardust character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that makes the record um, is the, the songwriting, um, the expressiveness of, of his voice, um, that early Bowie vocal sound, because it changed dramatically after, I think, like 74, 75, where he, you know, became almost like a crooner. A much darker, mm-hmm. more baritone sound, um, and this was uh, him singing in his higher register. A um, little bit of that Cockney accent in there, um, but he, he's very expressive in his voice, um, where he can um, si- sing some of the songs uh, as it gets to the end and of the song, and the um, emotion is building up, um, and it's almost this. The, his, his ability to push his voice almost into this frenetic kind of realm mm-hmm. um, and really milk the drama out of the song. Um, every song is a performance and uh, it's almost like, it's almost like listening to a live album, but it's recorded in the studio. You can get yeah. the power of the, the performance from him and from the backing band. I mean, the spiders from Mars backing band, yeah. uh, uh, Mick Ronson, uh, Trevor Boulder, Mickwood Mansey, they were just a, a real powerful um, ensemble and they were perfect to back Bowie on this album and that glam rock style. Um, just an incredible, uh, incredible album with some great songs on it. The title track, Suffragette City, um, Soul Love, Five Years, Rock and Roll Suicide, um, mm-hmm. Starman, just 
great, great glam rock tracks. Was this the first Bowie album you, you got? My first um, introduction to Bowie was in the 80s. So like I only knew Bo- I only knew David Bowie from Labyrinth. You know, that's the first time yeah. I've ever I ever sure. saw David Bowie was in Labyrinth. Um, and that's kind of what I knew him from. And then like the, the, the 80s records, like Let's Dance, Modern Love, China Girl, which were great records too. Um, but this was the first time like I, I and again, I, I discovered it in my parents' basement is in their record collection and mm-hmm. um, and put it on expecting to hear, um, you know, the David Bowie that I was familiar with. And, and what came through the headphones was something entirely different. Right. So this was my first encounter with like David Bowie as an artist. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's one of those albums that kind of blow you, blows your mind the first time you hear it. It's unlike anything I've ever heard before by any artist. I didn't really start listening to Bowie that much until not too long ago. And it's the first Bowie album that I turned to and listened to in its entirety. And out of all the ones I've heard, it's my favorite still. It's a great collection of tracks. It's like a movie in a way. It's like you're mm-hmm. on this odyssey. And it's interesting, Dan, when you talk about your first introduction to Bowie was through Labyrinth, because I recently read a book by Rob Sheffield, my favorite music journalist. I think we've talked about him a couple of times. After Bowie passed away, he wrote a book called On Bowie. It was basically a collection of Bowie thoughts after his passing. Really good book. And uh, he talked in there, if I, if I recall correctly, about how so many people of our generation, the first image they have of Bowie was in Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that led the way into exploring his music. Uh, I don't really have anything to add to what you say other than I agree with everything. It's a tremendous album. Uh, I, It's my go-to Bowie album. If I have to put on one, that's what I'm going to. Aladdin Sane is also great for me. I love that album, but it's Ziggy Stardust as my go-to, and it's a wonderful collection of songs. Great album cover as well. You know, we talk a lot yeah, about Yeah, very album cool covers. album cover. Great, great cover. Um, and again, for a concept record, an album cover doesn't really lend itself to the concept of the record. No, not um, at all. It's just kind of this cool, you know, Bowie in an, in an alley yeah, leaning up against a building with uh, a guitar, you know, and that's, uh, and, and, and that's really, you know, all I, you know, just a cool image, but doesn't reflect the music that's inside of it or the story that's being told. So it's, it, it's a cool kind of uh, um, dichotomy there. Dan, before we go to my next album, a question for you, because you just talked about a David Bowie album. I had talked about a Sinatra album before that. Who has a better mugshot, Frank Sinatra or David Bowie? Because <laughs> they're both I amazing. Don't, I don't know. I mean, this, that's a, that's a, a hard, uh, hard choice to make. <laughs> I love both. I got to go with Bowie because in Bowie's mugshot, he's just so he looks so amazing in the photo. Mm-hmm. And he, he, it's this cool Bowie, and you see the different eye colors very clearly in that. And it's um, even though it's a black and white photo, you could tell the differences. A Sinatra's mugshot is great, <laughs> mm-hmm. but as mugshots go, those are the two that you'd want. <laughs> but anyhow, yeah, we'll do another podcast one day on on mug, our favorite mugshots. <laughs> mugshots that we love. Oh boy. Well, Dan, listen for my next album. I want you to guess. Okay, so this one I did choose a Beatles album. And what do you think the album is? You chose the Beatles album. What is the album? Uh, yeah, Hard Day's Night. Guess. That's it. Unbelievable. I can't believe you guessed that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's really right. Folks listening, we didn't plan this. <laughs> why, why did you guess that? Because I've said it's my favorite Beatles album. It's your favorite Beatles album. Yeah. Um, I've talked about this a little bit on our one of the previous episodes we did together about the Beatles. Here's what I'll say about A Hard Day's Night. And by the way, I think it's Stephen Van Zandt's favorite Beatles album as well. He's talked about that on uh, Sirius XM. This album, to me, represents Beatlemania at its height. Came out in 1964, so that's, and it was recorded after, shortly after the Beatles came to America for the first time. And it's at a point where their song, first off, every track is by Lennon and McCartney. Written by Lennon McCarty. Some tra- uh, one song is performed vocally by George Harrison. And 
it represents an evolution in their songwriting beyond their first two albums, which were Please Please Me and with the Beatles. And yet is still that British invasion rock and roll sound. They hadn't really gone into their own singer-songwriting influence, like the Dylan influence hadn't yet really arrived that much yet, although you see elements of it there, I think. Uh, the so album is a, a mixture of rockers and love songs. You have classic rock songs like A Hard Day's Night, Can't Buy Me Love, those are the hits. Uh, you have tracks like You Can't Do That, When I Get Home, these real rock and roll songs. And then you have these amazing ballads like And I Love Her, If I Fell. And even though it's not a ballad, I love I'm Happy Just to Dance with You. It's one of my favorite Beatles songs. It's just infectious, and I never tire of it. Uh, the album cover there is a work of art, just like every Beatles album cover is in its own way. Uh, and I, I think it just represents early 60s fun before things got a little bit crazy in the world. Um, I, I, as I mentioned, I've talked about it before. There's not much I, I could really add to it now. Except it, it also is the first Beatles album that I bought, and perhaps I have a soft spot for it because of that. Uh, but A Hard Day's Night for me is just, um, it's perfection. And if I could give a gift, if I was giving someone a gift and was getting them a Beatles album and could get them any album, I would choose this one. Because for people that say they don't like early, early Beatles, well, I think it's a better album than Please Please Me and With The Beatles. And a lot, most people seem to love later Beatles. And that's great, too. But it's just kind of like this perfect moment in their career. Uh, Dan, Hard Day's Night, what comes to mind? Hard Day's Night is one of the, the few records, um, I think, that you could say spawned a whole genre of, um, of rock music. Um, because I, I would say that without a, a Hard Day's Night, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have the birds and you wouldn't have folk rock. So uh, to me, uh, one of the things that makes A Hard Day's Night such a special record, aside from what it means in just the Beatles catalog and looking at their career, um, and really being the album that, that kind of showed the world that this wasn't just going to be a fad. Um, you know, like you said, every song written by Lennon and McCartney, them coming into their own, um, the album shows their creativity, where they were going, um, hints of that, that Dylan influence, but not, like you said, not yet coming into its own. That would happen. Um, the next album, uh, Beatles for sale with I'm a loser and tracks like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but the opening chord of a hard day's night, the album and the song, uh, George strumming, um, I believe it's a G diminished suspended something weird chord on um, a Rickenbacker 360 12 string, mm -hmm. which was the prototype, um, which was brought to the Beatles. And actually, this is an interesting story that that guitar was actually meant for John, which um, I was not aware of. Um, the The president of a Rickenbacker company brought the guitar to. Um, their hotel in New York before they went on the um, Ed Sullivan show for the first time. Mm -hmm. And he was going to give it to John because John played the Rickenbacker, um, the black and white Rickenbacker. George yeah. was playing a, a Gretsch uh, Chet Atkins. George had the flu. Yeah. Uh, he was still at the, uh, at the hotel. The others had gone off for a photo shoot and uh, George intercepted the, the Rickenbacker 12 string. Um, and the first time we hear it is on a hard day's night. And the first time Roger McGuinn heard it was on a hard day's night and then saw it in the movie and right. went out and bought one. And that's, that's the birds sound yep. and that ushered in folk rock. So without a hard day's night, um, that whole genre of music might not have, um, come about, you know, the, 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 uh, artists in, um, Greenwich village might not have thought to plug in and yeah. play folk music on electric instruments. Changed the music world. It did. On that note, let's turn it over to your fourth selection of the night, my friend. My fourth record of the night is uh, Led Zeppelin IV. Great. Yeah, uh, Led Zeppelin IV, 1971. Um, I often say that Led Zeppelin is one of those bands where in the progression of their first four albums, through their first four albums, you can see their progression as a band. Mm -hmm. So 
Led Zeppelin one was their our introduction to them. Um, great album, uh, but we're seeing them in very raw, still very raw. Um, Led Zeppelin two uh, brought the sound, defined the Led Zeppelin sound. Led Zeppelin three, they learned how to become songwriters, and Led Zeppelin four was the culmination of all of it. And one of those few albums that's uh, perfect from beginning to end. I don't think there's a bad track on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it reads like a greatest hits album from Black Dog to Rock and Roll, Battle of Evermore, of course, Stairway to Heaven, um, which I think has become such a, I mean, stereotypical rock anthem has been number one on so many greatest songs of all time lists that it actually has taken away from what a good song it actually is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I think people just uh, stare away, you know, kind of poo-poo it as like, of course you're going to say Stairway to Heaven. and um, But it actually is. It, it's, it's a great, great uh, song, not just a well-written song, but a well-recorded and produced song. Um, Misty Mountain Hop, Four Sticks, Going to California When the, when the Levee Breaks, the whole album. Perfection. Perfection. Incredible. And um, you listen to that and you understand why Led Zeppelin is, was, is Led Zeppelin. Um, And it's interesting because most people, when they think of Zeppelin, they're in their mind, they go right away to the heavy stuff. And that makes sense. I get that. But on Led Zeppelin 4, you have Going to California, The Battle of Evermore, both of which are much, are toned down, more acoustic sounding tracks. mm -hmm. Um, What's your favorite song from the album? My favorite song from the album, it's tough because there's so many good ones. Yeah. And I would actually say that it's, it, it's, it's a tie. Okay. It's a tie. Um, and two very different sounds. Going to California is the first. Okay. When the Levee Breaks is the second. So the, the last uh, two tracks on the album. The last two tracks yeah. are, are my two favorite. Um, Going to California just... I mean, it's, it's again, one of those songs that, um, to me, it, it, it's very intimate. It sounds like, you know, you're, you're sitting in on the recording, um, and just the, the guitar and plants voice and, uh, just a great song. And then, um, uh, when the levee breaks from the start, you know, those, the, the pounding drums and, um, it's just the perfect ending to that record. It's, it's. It's dramatic, it's rocking, it's um, it's just an incredible track. So, Dan, you guess what the Beatles album I was going to choose is. Can you guess what my favorite song from Led Zeppelin 4 is? Your favorite song from Led Zeppelin 4? I'm going to say Battle of Evermore. Great choice, but that's that's incorrect. So, great choice. Misty Mountain. Okay. Uh, that was going to be that that was going to be my <laughs> other one. I, I, I love didn't know that whether track. I was going to go hard or soft. I love it. Yeah. It, doesn't that song play in almost famous the movie when they cross the Golden Gate Bridge into San Francisco? I have a. Is that? It, it might. I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I got. Yeah, I got to check that check. movie out again. Wow. Well, I love Led Zeppelin. I love Led Zeppelin Four. It's my favorite Zeppelin album, and uh, tremendous choice. Tremendous. Yeah, my dogs like it too. They're, they're yeah, he, yeah they're, oh, totally. So. I was debating whether or not to do another Beatles-related album on the list. And I, I, I didn't choose a Beatles album, but I chose a Paul album. Okay. And the album I chose was Tug of War. Now, this album came out in 1981, I believe. Am I right about that, Dan? Is that? I'm looking 82. It up. 82. Okay. And it was Paul's first album <clears throat> after the assassination of John Lennon. I, I, I don't know why this is one of my go-to Paul albums. I think most of the tracks are wonderful. The opening track, Tug of War, starts off soft and builds into this epic climb. By the way, the album was produced by George Martin, which is significant. Um, the album features two collaborations with Stevie Wonder. Both are not. Both of those tracks are not necessarily critically acclaimed. Uh, <clears throat> one of them is Ebony and Ivory. The other one is... What You're Doing, not not What You're Doing, that's the Beatles track. What's That You're Doing, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't really like What's That You're Doing all that much. I happen to like Ebony and Ivory. I'm a sucker for good old mm-hmm. 80s pop. Okay, uh, but other tracks on there, Take It Away is a wonderful song. It gets a little bit acoustic with somebody who cares. 
here today is a masterpiece of songwriting. Anybody that criticizes Paul's songwriting post-Beatles needs to go to listen to that track. That song is a tribute to John Lennon. And when you listen to what he's singing, it, it could very well bring tears to your eyes. It's a beautiful, poetic masterpiece. Wonderlust, which is a great song, kind of a... Uh, Reminds me of a Brian Wilson Beach Boys type song. And actually, I think Brian Wilson covered it on a tribute album called The Art of McCartney. He's got a fun duet on there with Carl Perkins, who is one of the most legendary rock and rollers of all time, called Get It. I happen to like this track, Dress Me Up as a Robber, which is a rocker disco type feel. And I just, uh, I really enjoy the production on the album and the sound of the album. I also really like the music video for Take It Away. I think it's a fun video. Ringo's on drums on that track as well. And uh, to me, this is great 80s McCartney. You know, some of his 80s stuff wasn't as good. You have Press to Play, which came out a few years later, on which there are several good songs, but it's not Tug of War. Uh, Pipes of Peace, another solid 80s McCartney. And I just love this album. Uh, It had a deluxe uh, version released a few years ago, uh, back in 2015. And uh, I'm just a fan of it. Dan, uh, obviously you're a huge McCartney fan. Where do you rank Tug of War on your list of McCartney records? I have to agree that it's it's it's, it's close to the top. I, I I think it's it's his. You know, I make this statement, and then I, I have you know people that remind me about Flowers in the Dirt. But I I think it's his best release of the '80s. Yeah, Flowers. Um, solid, and I and I think you probably could could have a, a a really good debate on which is the better release: is it Tug of mm-hmm. War, or Flowers in the Dirt? But I I I feel like um you know that I enjoy Tug of War, and I I I feel like the songs just have I don't know more of a emotional quality to them. Um, you can hear on here today the the sadness, but there's also a, a joy, also a joy there, I think, from um, celebrating um, his music and, and, and just music in general with George Martin being back to produce, with Ringo yeah. playing on a lot of the, uh, a lot of the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Ebony and Ivory, too. I don't have a problem with it for, for all of the grief that it's got. And I, I, I enjoy it. Um, it's a great it's, message. It's, cool. it's a great message. It's a great message. And it's cool hearing two multi-instrumentalists playing together on a track, you know, yeah. um, they're the only people playing on that. It's just Stevie and, 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 and Paul. Right. Um, and it's really cool. Ballroom dancing. Ballroom dancing is a fun song. Dan, what is your final selection for the evening? So I, I decided it was a really hard decision to make. I decided to stay away from Beatles re- records yes. for this one. Um, <clears throat> so it is not a Beatles record. Um, but uh, it, it, it is Beatles related. Okay. Um, so my, uh, my top choice uh, is Band on the Run. So I, I went Paul too. Um, yes. Wings era Paul. Um, and I went with Band on the Run because like um, – like Zeppelin IV, uh, like Tapestry, like um, Deja Vu, all the albums we've talked about. Um, I think front to back, it, it, it's pretty much a, a perfect album. I don't think you could find a bad track on uh, Band on the Run. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people that will argue with me on that, but <laughs> to they'd, me, they'd I, I, they'd I, be wrong. I, I think you'd be hard pressed. Um, and to think that it's it, it's it's just Paul and then Denny Lane, mm-hmm. in in Lagos, um, Nigeria, and in, uh, in uh, Ginger Baker's rundown um, studio there that wasn't even set up for them, and still they managed to create this incredible album. Just three musicians, and um, I think I notice a quality in. The, the 10 albums that we talked about tonight, um, all of the ones that we chose, and this was not something that was set up. We, we did this entirely independently of each yes. other, have kind of this organic feel to them of, of being very intimate, um, sounding like just the musicians in a room, not even in a studio, like sitting around in the living room of, of a house or a basement or, and just jamming and recording what they're playing. Yeah, and um, and and to me, Band on the Run has that. Um, it has that quality to it, similar to uh, McCartney One and and Ram. It's got that same kind of organic, homegrown quality to it. Right. Um, just an incredible record. 
and great now, songs. Dan, I want to ask you uh, your opinion on this because uh, track three on Band on the Run is a song called Bluebird. It's one of my favorite wing songs. Do you like the studio version from Band on the Run or the live version that later appeared on Wings Over America more? Um, I'm actually partial to the studio version. That's unbelievable to me. I really thought you were going to say the live version. And I want to hear why, but uh, before you do, I'll just tell you that when I was getting into the Beatles and discovering McCartney's post-Beatles career, I fell in love with the acoustic sound on the live version of Wings Over America, and I thought it destroyed the studio version, even though I like the studio version. Tell me why you prefer the studio version. I'm very intrigued. Um, it's it's the uh, I mean the vocal harmonies on well, it um, to me ring through more. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, I love the live version, um, but uh, it's just uh, the the vocals on the studio version is what gets me. What's your favorite track on the album? Let me roll it. Let me roll it now. I got to tell you something, Dan. That's my least favorite track on the album. Really? <laughs> and I love it. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Maybe it's the fact that he's done it live on every tour and I'm a little tired of it. Mm-hmm. But it's a great track. 1985 is a tremendous song, too. It is a tremendous song. Uh, and both, it isn't Yeah, good. I was to say both of those are his uh his tribute to John. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Band on the Run is a great album. Uh, it's there's nothing bad to say about it. It is a masterpiece. I think it is generally accepted as Wings' best album. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Great selection and a great way to close out your five for tonight. That's tremendous. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, I think we had a, a good ten. Well, I got picks. my tenth coming up. I got my fifth coming up here. So. Oh, that's right. You got your fifth. You didn't do your fifth yet. I'm sorry. I cut you so, off. Oh, no, that's it's okay. So uh, actually, for our listeners, Dan and I were talking before we went on air tonight about wanting to do a Beach Boys episode when summer comes closer. And we're going to do that uh, for my selection tonight. I chose a Beach Boys album. Now, you might think I would have selected Pet Sounds, which is could, could very well be on this list, but I didn't. Instead, I chose the album The Beach Boys Today, which came out in 1965, March 8th, 1965. So we're recording this March yesterday came out. So 1965 was 55 years ago, 55 years ago. That album came out yesterday and it sounds fresh. It, it still does. So the Beach Boys today, a little bit of background for our listeners. Uh, to me, this album, just like with the Hard Day's Night for the Beatles, it represents a significant development in the depth of the songs that the band recorded. There are definitely tracks on this album that are considered Beach Boys hit songs. So they are, for example, Do You Want to Dance, which was a cover that they did, When I Grew Up to Be a Man, Help Me Rhonda, Dance, 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 Please uh, Please Let Me Wonder is another great track. So you have those hit songs, but then you have these masterpieces of arrangements and harmony. And of course, Brian Wilson is a legend that really should get the credit for this. But there's some lesser-known songs like Please Let Me Wonder, Kiss Me Baby, She Knows Me Too Well, which are these lush, magnificent love songs in which you have the combination of wonderful instrumentation matched with the Beach Boys harmony in these insanely catchy songs. And the crazy thing about the Beach Boys, maybe it's their harmonies, but it's the perfect soundtrack to going to the beach on a, on a nice summer day, but it doesn't have to be a summer-type song. To me, if I hear a track like, like Please Let Me Wonder or She Knows Me Too Well, I can almost feel the ocean waves at my feet, if that makes any sense. It just takes you there. With this album, there was that development in songwriting, and it paved the way for Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds was still three albums away. Next was Summer Day, Summer Nights, then the Beach Boys Party, and then you got Pet Sounds. But you could clearly see with the Beach Boys today how they're on their way to Pet Sounds. And I have open on my computer here the Wikipedia page for the Beach Boys today, and uh, it's interesting because there's apparently an author named Scott Schinder, if I'm saying that correct. I'll just read this direct from Wikipedia. Referred to its suite-like structure as an early example of the rock album format being used to make a cohesive artistic statement. And I wouldn't necessarily call the Beach Boys today a concept album, but it has that feel and there is that suite-like structure in a way. Because when you get to side two of the album, let's say in its vinyl form, you do get to those love songs. Um, in the back of my mind, which was 
the closing musical track on the album. There was an, a spoken word track that did close it out. You have a lead vocal by Dennis Wilson, and that to me is another development in the Beach Boys songwriting where you got sort of introspective in terms of um, emotional, individualistic tracks. So I chose the Beach Boys today. They're one of my favorite bands. There's several albums of theirs that stand out. And the last thing I'll say about this album, which, Dan, I'd like to explore with you when we do the Beach Boys podcast, is I think a lot of people, when they hear the Beach Boys, they hear the name of the Beach Boys, in their mind, they automatically go to those early hits, Surfing USA, Surfing Safari, Fun, Fun, Fun. And I would argue those are great songs, and they are. But most people, especially of the younger generations, tend to dismiss them as kind of silly poppy, not that sophisticated. When you listen to more of the Beach Boys and you get further on into their career, when you hear something like the Beach Boys today, it's such a a major development in their songwriting that I think uh, albums like this and Pet Sounds and a couple of others solidify their places among the greatest of American bands. And Dan, before we go to the Stuff We Love segment, uh, Beach Boys today, any thoughts on it? One of the things that I think, and I was actually going to say exactly what you said, um, people that kind of think of the Beach Boys as like a, an oldies singles band, you know, they only know those early singles or the singles in general, um, don't realize how ahead of his time in, in production Brian Wilson was, because mm-hmm. this is 1965. And I would argue that a lot of the arrangements and what he's doing, especially especially on tracks like When I Grow Up To Be A Man and Help Me Rhonda, um, sound like they're about, like they might've come out a year and a half to two years later. Right. You listen to the, if you were to put this song, you know, some of these songs on for someone and say, guess what year it was released? They would probably go more towards 66, 67, because it sounds like that level of sophistication, what other bands were doing at that time. Right. It's a good two years before that. You could argue that, um, the following album, you know, California Girls, right, is probably the first really psychedelic release, um, and it it predated psychedelia by at least at the at the very least six months, um, if not a full year. So Brian was ahead of his time as 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 a composer and as mm-hmm. a producer. Um, he was creating sounds that people weren't people weren't making records that sounded like that in 1965 except for the Beach Boys. No, they, that's very true. It's almost like he had his pulse on the world of music in terms of being influenced by what he had heard in the Phil Spector sound, but also able to project where things would ultimately go. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Dan, I think we talked about some good music here tonight. I think we did. I think we did. We covered a wide range. I love it. And I hope you, our listeners, will take what Dan and I've said and Go expand your own musical horizons. If you're not familiar with any of these albums, definitely check them out. They're all available on streaming services and vinyl and all that good stuff. And so, Dan, this is the part of the show now where we go to the Stuff We Love segment. And we've kind of been doing that the whole episode. Mm-hmm. But this is where tonight Dan and I will give you a recommendation for something that we're enjoying right now. Uh, Dan, what is your Stuff We Love recommendation this evening? Uh, my Stuff We Love recommendation this evening is a documentary that I just watched recently. Um, it's on, I watched it on Show, uh, Showtime, the Showtime app. I believe it's called Hitsville, and it's about um, the history of Motown. Uh, uh, you, I want to say this. I really want to say this. It's, it's an incredible, incredible documentary. Um, most of it is basically being told by Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I wasn't aware of this, and I'm not sure how many people realize how um, vital to Motown, Smokey Robinson was, um, not just as a songwriter and a performer, but he also in many ways acted as Barry Gordy's foil, um, within the company. And, and, and the documentary opens with a, a recorded conversation from a, uh, a meeting, I guess, a board meeting at mm-hmm. Motown records. And it's, uh, it's a snippet of, Barry Gordy arguing with Smokey Robinson about <laughs> about the sound on the records, um, and I think it's 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 Smokey pushing for in, improving the sound, improving mm-hmm. on the 
uh, if I remember correctly, one of them is arguing for improving the sound and the other is saying, but no, this is the people in the high tech studios are trying to sound like us. You know, they're, they're trying to replicate the Motown sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then it just goes into the history of the company. Um, the artists that they brought on board, where the sound came from, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the funk brothers and, and, and just the, the stable of writers that they had writing for them. And then progressing through to how Motown changed in the seventies. Um, when you had some of the writers that were writing for them, uh, Dozier, Holland, Dozier leaving, um, and then people like Marvin Gaye and, and Stevie Wonder yeah. now coming in and becoming um, these incredible songwriters right. and pushing, pushing the music further. Um, and then the move into more, I guess, for lack of a better term, multimedia um, with uh, Motown now getting into producing uh, uh, television shows like the Jackson 5 cartoon series and then movies like Lady Sings the Blues and Mahogany and um, sure. up at, up into the 80s, the, the Kung Fu classic, The Last Dragon. They don't talk about that in the uh, documentary, but that was a, a Motown release. Um, but it's an incredible, incredible documentary. And it will give you a whole new, um, if you're one of those people that I think, you know, the Motown artists and the music get kind of the same disservice that the Beach Boys get, people look at it as singles and oldies and stuff. But um if you don't already have a, a, a healthy respect for Motown, which people should, especially mm-hmm. if you're a music fan, it'll give you a whole new respect for for what they did. And a lot of the music that we've talked about tonight is not, it doesn't have that exact Motown sound, but it was certainly inspired by the Motown sound. All oh, these 60s artists listened to Motown and loved them. And 70, not just 60s artists. And it's, for me, one of my go-to I mean, it's not. It's a. It's more than just a, a studio. It's a genre almost of music, the Motown sound, and uh, many of my favorite artists come from Motown. So that's mm-hmm. a great choice, Dan. And uh, from my stuff, we love. I actually had a do- documentary as well. Um, cool. But this one came out. I think it may have been two years ago now, or, or around there. Originally, as part of PBS's American Master series, and it's a John Lennon documentary called "Above Us Only Sky." Have you seen that, Dan? I've seen it, yes. So yeah. it's now available. It's streaming on Netflix, although I happen to own the DVD, uh, Blu-ray, I guess. And it's a documentary that basically focuses on John and Yoko's life around the time that the album Imagine was recorded. The documentary features wonderful behind-the-scenes footage of John and Yoko, along with several of the other artists that worked with them on the Imagine album, such as George Harrison and Klaus Vorman, uh, Jim Keltner, among others. And it is very interesting. It sort of took a look at how, I mean, it also captures that time very well. You see just how different life was during that time period and how John's life had changed from the craziness of the Beatles days to where he was living at the time and what the album, just the recording process was like for him. It's really interesting. Some of the footage that was featured in there I had seen before in other John documentary films, but this one had some newer interviews with a whole host of characters ranging from musicians to journalists uh, to Elliot Mintz, who was, I guess, what would you call his personal, their personal assistant for a certain point yeah. mm-hmm. later on. Uh, so a really, really great documentary. I, I did enjoy it. That's Above Us Only Sky. Dan, I think that takes us where we have to be tonight. I think, I think you're right. So, Dan, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you for having me, as always. It's, it's always a great time. I, I feel like after every one of our episodes, I come out of it so excited to listen to music again. Oh, I do too. And uh, it, it's like it opens up the desire to discover. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's because that's what, what we did so often uh, in high school. We would go out and try to discover new new music. And yeah. um, and, and it, 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 it pushes that button. I, you know, I want to go find new stuff to listen to and revisit Absolutely. old stuff. So. It's great. Absolutely. Well, if you want to discover something new, an artist I have a lot of respect for, and I've talked about him a few times here on the podcast, is Harry Styles, whose recent album, he was on Howard Stern last week. And I knew he was a Beatles nut because I had read an interview with him in which he said that he loved the Wings track, Arrow Through Me, which is one of my favorite Wings tracks. But anyhow, on that interview, he told Stern that when he was recording his most recent album, he uh, was fascinated with Ram and would listen to Ram over and over again. And when I listen to the new Harry Styles album, the Beatles influence does shine through. 
but it's more than just that. There is a Steve. One of the tracks is very similar to "Love the One You're With," Stephen Still. So you could. That, that's one of my go-to newer artists, Harry Styles. So if you're for those that are interested in discovering new music, check that out. Um, very cool. That's another bonus stuff we love. Uh, anyhow, I uh, want to tell all our listeners where you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod, Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. Our website is StuffWeLovePodcast.com. You could write to us, StuffWeLovePodcast at gmail.com. You could uh, find us on all podcast platforms, including Spotify. And please leave us those good five star reviews on iTunes, which makes it easier for others to find the show. So, Dan, really enjoy this. Look forward to our future episodes. And thank you again for being on the podcast this evening. We'll go around the table one more time. I am Scott. I'm Dan. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.